the Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 226 for September 26th, 2010. The first three SIM card phone, news about all six smartphone operating systems, and the FCC approves rules for the white space. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Kappas. Brought to you by Netflix and supported by listeners like you, subscribers to The Cell Phone Junkie Unlocked. More information at thecellphonejunkie.com. The show is also supported by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application for the iOS, available now in the iTunes store for $1.99. First this week, if you ever wondered how high-altitude radio towers got serviced, we posted a video this week that gives you a first-person view of how it goes. The amazing thing to me is as the climber gets higher, the climb continues to get more amazing, and the top is truly mind-boggling. Joey, this is a great video to watch if you're a true radio geek. It really is. I mean, it's uh, this here is a, a, a TV tower, a cell phone tower wouldn't be this high, um, but it, it it's truly scary. I mean, it, it, it's frightening. I'm watching it in a little teeny you know YouTube window, and I'm, I'm nearly petrified, so... Uh, I, I I just couldn't imagine having to do that. I think you get to the the point when you're doing that job where it probably doesn't phase you anymore as you're doing it, but you don't see too many uh, you know views like this. I mean, it's it's kind of like standing on top of a toothpick at like a hundred feet. I'm, I'm guessing that's probably like how this would correlate. I mean, it's it's unbelievable that he's you know there's not enough wind up there to blow him off. Not, you know, not to mention this the sheer terror that is you know standing 1,700 feet up in the air, literally on top of a what two foot tower. Uh, I mean, it's just just a, a cylinder. I mean, that's all it is. It's unbelievable. Yeah, and of course there's you know no safety line as he's climbing. No. It is literally just free climbing a ladder. Um, you know, he'll, he'll stop and hook on, but, uh, I, yeah, it's terrifying. This made the rounds around the internet this week. So if you may have seen this already, if you haven't head over to the, the site and check out the link in the show notes here, cause it is just unbelievable. You have to watch this next. We posted a review of the HTC Evo 4G this weekend launched in June. The Evo was the first 4G WiMAX smartphone in the U S Running on Android 2.2 with HTC's Sense UI, the Evo is a 1 gigahertz Snapdragon processor running device with a 4.3-inch display and 8-megapixel camera. The device was the first in a line of many high-end carrier-supported Android phones in 2010, and even with the Samsung, Motorola, and other HTC offerings, many are still choosing this flagship model for its large screen, 4G data, and snappy operating system. The Evo is available from Sprint for $200 after two-year contract and mail-in rebate. So it easily fit in your shirt pocket. Easily fit my shirt. It, it easily fit in my back pants pocket. It is a large phone. Uh, I would say that it's it's probably right on the edge. Um, I wouldn't choose this particular um, layout based on its size. I mean, I can't even get my thumb across the entire screen. So, I mean, that kind of tells you how big it is. But it's really, really good. I was very impressed with it, especially for the video side of it. Just it's wonderful for traveling and watching videos. It, you know, I at one point thought that the iPad was the optimal experience for travel and being able to watch videos. But even that is is not something that you can you know kind of walk around and watch stuff with. I mean, and this was I was traveling a little bit over the past couple of weeks, and you know, walking through the airport watching video, and then you know, once you get on the <laughs> plane and and stuff like that. I mean, it just it works really really well for just on the go. Uh, you know, video watching, I guess that does sound a little strange walking around watching video, walking, but exactly, but you know what I mean? It's, it, it was, it was really easy to use. 
Well, okay, so you've got, I mean, you're comparing to the iPad, which, yeah, it's a tablet device. It's a very large screen. I mean, the resolution's about the same. But, yeah, the iPad, what they really missed out on is a a device to stand the thing up. Because when I used your Mm -hmm. iPad, Mickey, it was uh, ridiculously heavy and cumbersome to hold on to. Um, Whereas, you know, a a, a phone or, you know, this size, it's easy to hold on to. And, of course, there's the, the little kickstand on there that flips right out. And you can set it right on your, you know, airplane tray table mm-hmm. and watch the video that you're trying to watch. And um, it's so easy and so brilliant. I mean, why didn't Apple put that on there? Is that just too complicated for them? I mean, it probably is, but it's just something that would have made so much sense with, with well, yeah, I know the problem with the iPad is just too heavy. Couldn't support something like that because you'd probably break your finger if it fell over on it. So <laughs> um, anyway, enough iPad bashing, but you know, that is such a huge screen on that thing. It's, it, it really is amazing. It's it's overall, I would say, probably the, the, the most enjoyable experience for watching video that I've had on a phone. And, and you know, of course, I would guess that the, the Droid X would be even better. But this one has the kickstand, and uh, this one has the 4G data, which, of course, I have not had a chance to. I've spent time in, I think I figured it out, eight different states uh, since I've been testing out 4G devices on Sprint and have yet to find uh, a 4G area. So it's not like it's... Um, you know, going you're going to find yourself in a 4G area wherever you go because I've I've been to some pretty major cities and and it's coming. Don't get me wrong, it'll be there, but uh, you just have to keep that in mind. And the Evo 4G, you know, it's one of the leading devices today. I mean, if you're looking to stay on Sprint and you want the highest end smartphone, it's a no brainer to get this one. Um, I've been very impressed with the speed. It it brings uh you know brings a lot of great things to the Sprint network. And uh, keeping in mind that the 4G service may not be available in your area, the full touchscreen and android 2.2 on it it's still really at or near the top of the pile even four months after its launch so appreciate sprint sending this one out uh, for review it's uh, it's been a lot of fun to t- take a look at it well and you know one thing you know you say yeah there's been so many android devices coming out and they have new features but you know if you really do look at them they're all about the same i mean yes there's a new one with a couple little you know doodads here and there but but as a whole you know the the differences between them are are basically nothing so you know you're kind of it's it seems kind of fatiguing when there's so many of them coming out but really there's it's it's not that big of a deal and yeah it's only it's been out for a few months which makes it you know 17 generations behind but it doesn't really mean that it's uh seven it's it's you know the terrible phone well and one of the things that i said in the review which you can grab over at the cellphonejunkie.com is that this phone has really benefited, I think, more than anything from the Galaxy S devices that have come out and, of course, all the branding that's been done with the Droid devices on Verizon because if you're a Sprint customer, you walk into a Sprint store and you say, yeah, I saw the you know the Droids or I saw you know Samsung and their Galaxy devices. And yeah, you've got the Epic 4G on Sprint, but you put that one up next to the Evo and you've got a decision to make. Do you want a slide-out keyboard or not. And if you're looking for a form factor that's just this, what we call a monoblock slab, you're going to find yourself with an Evo, which I think is is a good choice, especially if you're looking to get something thin. I mean, it's thin. I mean, it's it's a great looking device. And I had a lot of fun with it. And I think, you know, if I was, if I was looking for an Android device, or I'm looking for something that's got the power um, that I can get through Google's OS, and I'm on Sprint. I- I'm not even thinking twice about it. I'm getting this one. I'm not a sliding QWERTY fan. I've talked about that in the past, and so this one was great for me to test out because it was the form factor that I actually enjoyed using. 
You know, and there's also something to be said about a device that has been out for a few months. They've had time to put out firmware updates and ROM mm-hmm. updates where they fix bugs that were present in the initial release. And honestly, your experience with the phone now is probably better than it was uh, when it first came out. And even, the, you know, over the time that I've been using it, there's been an update that came out. It was a small point release that uh, changed, uh, among other things, bug fixes. But also they, they released this 30 frame per second cap that they had um, in the video playback. So that was a nice thing to see. And, you know, so it, it kind of ups the, the usability of the device even more. And, and it's, it's good to see those things happening. Um, the, the, the Sprint Mobile hotspot that they have included in that, which I, I think is a $20 add-on, is, is very, very useful. I think turning a smartphone into a hotspot on the go is an, an unbelievably great thing to be able to do. It's one thing to tether, but it's another thing to just one button and you've got, you know, all of a sudden a hotspot there and you can connect anything. You don't have to worry about having to enter in credentials or anything like that. It's just, you know, boom, SSID and you're done. So anyway, great device there. Again, full review over at the site. Also this week, we reviewed a unique solar charging product called the Monaco Mobile Phone Solar Charger. There are many products on the market today that allow for on-the-go charging of your device. You've got batteries like the Zag Spark or Richard Solo and others that have uh, that are great to have, but there's a chance, of course, that you're going to need more power that is just in that battery. So the Monaco Solar Charger offers you something that the others don't, the ability to power the cell phone via the sun. It's a small enough product to carry around in your pocket and offers the versatility of providing power to a device via the internal battery if you've got it charged up or the external solar power. The charger is available for $39.95 at wirelessground.com. So, so Mickey, how long did it take to uh, charge up the, the internal battery? Well, if you do it either, of course, you can do it via USB. Um, It's just a USB micro um, USB charger. And you can either do it via that or the AC power. It's about six hours for each of those. So it does, it takes a little bit longer than what I would have expected it to be. Um, Via the solar, though, it takes about eight hours. So keep that in mind. But you can charge your phone's battery while you have it plugged in and it's charging that the the device's battery via solar so you can you can have that process continually going uh which i found to be useful and and so it's it's a little bit long but you know when you're when you're out there at the ball game sitting there with you know uh you know on a boat or a camping or something like that you're going to be able to leave the thing out there and just let it charge so it's okay yeah, it's kind of a niche part, uh, product that I would think, yeah, campers, boaters, that kind of thing when you're out in the world, wilderness would be a, a perfect uh, th- use for this. And obviously, you know, if you were doing that, you'd want to have a probably a lower power cell phone that doesn't need as many mm-hmm. uh, milliamp hours to charge back up. But definitely kind of a, a neat product to uh, give you some backup power without having to carry uh, generators and or, you know, tons of extra battery packs with you. Well, and even more, I mean, you can you can broaden this out. I mean, it definitely is a niche product, solar charging, but broaden it out to anyone who's got kids. You're out there at a baseball, football, uh, you know, game, something that where you're sitting outside in the stands and, and you've got your phone with you. And it's probably at the end of the day after you've been using your BlackBerry, your iPhone, your Android device all day long, and it's time to charge it up. And, you know, well, if you, if you haven't charged the battery... Um, in something like the Richard Solar or the Zag, then you're going to be out of luck. Well, this one, you're going to hopefully have a little bit of sunlight left at night, and so you can just set it on the, the seat next to you and, and charge up your device while you're at the game. So it's uh, it can be useful in, in many scenarios. If, of course, if you don't have a car charger, um, you could throw this thing on the dash of your car, and it'll power 
power it up and charge your cell phone or even on the seat next to you. It just needs to have, uh, you know, sunlight shining on it. And I found, too, that it, it didn't even have to be direct sunlight. I mean, it was almost like you could you could get some radiation bouncing off of, you know, buildings and stuff like that, and it would power it up. I'm sure it charges faster with more direct sunlight. But nonetheless, it works really well. And, uh, you know, as we like to do with all of our products, all of our review devices, we're giving this one away to one of our uh, listeners here to the podcast. So to enter... Go to the review, which you can find over at the site, and leave a comment. Uh, and you can uh, do so anytime between now and Saturday, October 2nd at 11.59 Eastern. You can only enter once, and one winner will be selected randomly and be announced on next week's show. So head over to the review at thecellphonejunkie.com, search for the Monaco Solar Charger, leave a comment on there, and we'll choose one randomly to win it. Thanks again to wirelessground.com for sponsoring the giveaway. They've got more than 20,000 unique accessories, including car chargers, travel chargers, batteries, headsets, Bluetooth headsets, and much more. Wirelessground.com gets items directly from the manufacturer, as well as the newest brand name products from popular manufacturers such as BlackBerry, Motorola, Samsung, LG, and more. Again, visit them at wirelessground.com. Let's jump into the news. We've got a lot to cover here and a lot of comments at the end here. So first off, the FCC voted Thursday to unanimously approve the rules allowing for the use of white space spectrum. The empty airwaves called white spaces were freed up during the digital television transition last year and consist of the spaces between existing broadcast channels. The FCC clarified conditions for use of this unlicensed spectrum to mitigate broadcasters' concerns, including a requirement that white space devices access a database every 24 hours to check for available spectrum that won't interfere with the broadcaster channels. PC World says that compared to standard wireless networks today that have a range of about a football field, assuming no obstacles are obstructing the signal, the white space networking is like Wi-Fi on steroids. The television signals the white space networks uh, are in between will will have a range of several miles and will be able to travel easily through walls. It is the agency, the FCC that is, first significant release of unlicensed spectrum in 25 years. The FCC's chairman, Julius Janikowski, said that he's very excited about the proposition of being able to offer this, and so they're happy to uh, make this announcement. So I I think this is a very good thing for everybody. We've been talking about it. We were just kind of waiting for this shoe to drop, so to speak. And so we're going to see, you know, a lot of, uh, I think, pickup here as far as devices that are going to be made and be able to take advantage of this. The real interesting thing is some of the initial um, uh, t- the, the discussions about this were that they were going to require the devices to have GPSs in them to uh, to figure out what frequency to be activated on, but they actually got rid of that. So it's going to be a little bit different as, as how they're going to do a database lookup now instead to figure out what frequencies to use while you're in a certain area. So it's uh, really fascinating how they've decided to implement this to keep it, even though it's wide open frequency, you got to have separation. You can't have just crosstalk because uh, everybody will just flood one piece of spectrum and then it will be basically useless. So it's uh, pretty interesting because they want to keep the channel separated from the markets that have cha- like, you know, if you're in a market that has channel three, um, as opposed to a market that doesn't have channel three, you have to stay away from that frequency. And and they'll be able to figure it out. It's it's not going to be a terribly difficult thing to do. It's just going to require um, a little bit of uh, you know a little bit of configuration on that part. But otherwise, I think it's going to be great. Um, it, it's 
it's wonderful that they're they offered it up here. I mean, we're we're only a year and a half or so after um, the channels moved away, and and so it takes time for these types of things. So um, more information about it as we go forward, of course. JD Power and Associates released their annual smartphone satisfaction survey on Thursday, placing Apple at the top for the highest marks in customer satisfaction. The survey takes uh, operation twenty six percent, operating system twenty four percent. Physical design, 23%. Features, 19%. And battery function at 8% into the questions that it asks. All scores are out of a possible total of 1,000. Apple ended up with the top score of 800. Motorola came in second at 791. HTC third at 781. And rounding out the top seven included RIM at 737, Samsung at 735, Palm at 726, and Nokia at 711. On Thursday, Marvel unveiled the new Armada 628 processor delivering 1.5 gigahertz of speed and 1080p video and a remarkable power efficiency on three cores. The chip is currently in the sampling phase and Marvel hopes to have it into consumer devices next year. I see something interesting here. They say that it supports RIM OS, Android, Linux, Windows Mobile, and a few others. So uh, that could be kind of interesting if I think hmm, maybe BlackBerry would pick this one up. That would be kind of nice to, uh, to, to really beef up their OS as far as the, the new OS 6 support because it is so much more graphically intensive. Well, I think you know anything that is power efficient, BlackBerry is going to look at. That's one of the things that they they kind of build their their company on is these power efficient devices. And so, uh, three cores in this thing uh, seems that it's it's going to be able to do uh, more uh, with less power, which is is very exciting. Yeah, and that's why they have two different core, you know, or they have three different cores. They have two one point five cores, and then they have a six twenty four megahertz uh, for low power usage. They say the groundbreaking tricore architecture is a unique solution to a long-time problem. How to achieve enterprise performance without breaking the limited power budget of smartphones, tablets, and other mobile consumer devices. And uh, they like to say that this is integrating two high-performance symmetrical multiprocessing cores and a third core optimized for ultra-low power. So there you go. The the architecture is analogous to a hybrid muscle car with uh, the frugal gas mileage of a hybrid automobile. So that's kind of a way to look at it. But anyway, good news. You know, we we're just talking about the the Snapdragon processors that Qualcomm has. And a lot of devices are getting these one gigahertz processors. And, and, and those seem to really fit in nicely into, uh, into the mobile space right now. But as we move forward, of course, you know, less power consumption is going to be a, a very big deal. And so Marvel is looking to that to uh, hopefully uh, make sure that they can push the, push the, uh, the needle forward, as it were. Passed on by a listener. Thanks, Joseph, for this. The site hothardware.com posted a very interesting image with tons of information about the world of cell phones. I'm going to put a link in the show notes so you can check this one out. Uh, But uh, some of the information that it says includes that in 2010, cell phone subscribers are expected to reach 5 billion worldwide. There's roughly 6.8 billion people, so that means that 70% of the people in the world will have a cell phone. Also, the average age of Americans when they receive their first cell phone, uh, 35% of them receive it when they are eight years old. So very, very young people. Also, the most cell phones in the world title holds uh, or is hung on by uh, Hong Kong. 150% of the population has a cell phone. That means that for every one person, there's 1.5 cell phones. Uh, in fact, 
fact, in the top 10, every single uh, listing in here is above 117%. The U.S. is not on there. Most of them are in Western Europe. But it's very interesting to see that most uh, most folks out there have got more cell phones than people. Also, more than 1.5 trillion text messages were sent last year by Americans, and 5 billion texts are sent each and every day. From San Jose, California, the Governor's Highway Safety Association said this week that it is considering endorsing a complete uh, ban on cell phone use while driving. In the study by the American Journal of Public Health released on Thursday, distracted driving fatalities caused by cell phone use and texting rose 28% from 4,500 in 2005 to 5,800 in 2008. The same report showed that texting has caused more than 16,000 deaths and car crashes from 2001 to 2007. The governor's safety group is made up of state highway officials from across the nation and is influential in formulating transportation safety policy. The National Safety Council already favors a total ban, eliminating that cell phone use, uh, estimating that cell phone use is responsible for 1.4 million crashes a year and more than one in four of all accidents. California is one of eight states to ban the use of handheld phones while driving and among 30 that prohibit texting. In a survey done by Credit Suisse, one-fourth of iPhone owners would switch to Verizon if that choice became available to them. 3% said that they would switch to Sprint, and 2% said that they would go to T-Mobile. The remaining 60% said that AT&T would remain their carrier of choice if the phone was on other networks. AT&T currently has over 6 million of its 90 million subscribers currently using an iPhone, meaning that only about 1.4 million of the users are at risk of leaving. The study also revealed that iPhone owners are less satisfied than other customers with AT&T. 51% of AT&T's total customers are satisfied and have no plans to change carriers compared to the 41% of iPhone owners. 18% of iPhone owners plan to leave AT&T when their contract contract expires, but only 9% of AT&T's total subscriber base plan uh, plan to leave the contract or leave the carrier after their contract ends. 3% of iPhone owners would break their contracts just compared to 1% of the total number of subscribers on AT&T. Interesting numbers there. You figured it would be higher than that, but then you realize that there's so many other, you know, millions and millions of people that are not using iPhones. So it's not quite that big of a deal uh, if the phone goes to Verizon. CEO Even Seidenberg of Verizon said on Thursday that the company would introduce tiered pricing for wireless data services within four to six months. The tiered pricing appears to coincide with the launch of an LTE network, but no other word on whether the tiers would trickle down to the CDMA network. Seidenberg said that we didn't need to be first on, on tiered pricing, referring to AT&T, yet we're not sure we agree with how them, AT&T, valued the data. So that means we don't really know what Verizon's going to do yet. Uh, but I think I saw this one coming. Uh, you know, the, the number one carrier in the country, you got to figure that they're going to uh, you know have to do this at some point, especially with the, you know, the idea of having really, really high-speed data coming along with LTE. They have to you know, put some limits in place. I would think so. You know, it's, it's, uh, we've seen this kind of go from minutes to unlimited minutes as far as the cell phone plans go, but we've had unlimited data. And data is so, you know, the, the revenue stream is there. Plus, there's a lot of consumers that don't want to spend as much money as they're charging for data right now because it keeps going up. And so there's a, there's kind of a, a, you know, the carriers see, okay, we've got more potential for the heavy users to make more money, but then even there, you know, the, the flip side of it is that customers that don't want to spend so much money will spend money now and get not as much data. So it's kind of a, I mean, the carrier wins on both sides. 
Well, and Sprint came out, Dan Hesse said this week that they were going to take a look at it, although they had no plans to do any tiered pricing. They thought, well, he said that they, as they move towards more and more people on the 4G network, they're going to you know, continue to monitor how much usage is, is actually happening and then make a decision for that. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, I'm a little, um, part of me is a little concerned about it. And the other side says, it's fine. It's not going to be that big of a deal. Uh, you know, the, the max plan that you can get now on AT&T um, for the same amount, or well, $5 less, I guess it was, you know, is, is two gigabytes. Last month, I used over two gigabytes. So I would have, if I was on that plan, would have ended up having paying, you know, additional money to AT&T just to be able to use it. And with the amount that I'm streaming radio now on Slacker, uh, Slingbox, it's football season. So whenever I'm out, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm streaming my, my Vikings or the, the Broncos or whoever it is that I'm watching. And uh, it's taking up a lot more data. And, you know, as the speeds of the network increase, it's even easier to use up more data because it's actually much more enjoyable to use now. Well, it is because then you're, you're, you have a higher quality stream. So, you know, your video looks better, your sound sounds better. And of course, since the capability is there, you're going to max it out. I mean, why not? So yes. And, and, and of course, in that case, it's not just a linear use uh, of data. When you've got video, it's kind of more of a, um, it's exponential. So instead of having a really low quality, you know, 50 kilo, kilobit stream, you're now into kind of a, not an HD, but you're kind of almost in a regular DVD size screen now. And in that case, you're streaming into the, you know, hundreds and hundreds of kilobits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it was probably a good 45 minutes that I was streaming football this afternoon while I was out and about. And, uh, you know, so that's going to be probably about 200 megs just right there, just from, you know, a, a portion of one game. Uh, I mean, there's there's a lot of concern for those that have, uh, if you've got one of these limited plans that you're not going to be able to make, um, you know, you're going to, you're going to you know, surpass the limit that you have. And I don't see LTE going in at a two gigabyte limit. I think it'd be more like uh, five, uh, just based on, you know, typical usages. But that means for those that are using their high speed networks for, I'll just say things that are not uh, legal or sanctioned things that they, that the, uh, the carriers want you to do, you're going to be, uh, be pinched by this one. So keep that in mind that within the next four to six months, Verizon's going to have those tiers as well. Again, we don't know if it's going to trickle down to CDMA, but it looks like it's going to at least be for LTE. Speaking of Sprint, they announced this week the availability of 4G across the Orlando, Florida market. The service is now available in 53 markets. And then Intimobile reported on Tuesday, Sprint is now displaying 4G service in parts of San Francisco. The connection speeds are showing up at about 5 to 7 megabits per second and just over 1 megabit per second for upload. The overall, or excuse me, the official launch has uh, not yet been made, though we're anticipating something coming out here in the next few weeks. In fact, CTIA is coming up in San Francisco next week, and so I wonder if they're going to have something coinciding with the actual uh, event that's happening in the city. T-Mobile has determined that solar panels attached to a cell phone tower are enough to keep it completely powered and remove it from the grid. A tower in Chalfont, or Chalfont, Pennsylvania, excuse me, has made the transition completely as part of a test from a company and says that the panels create so much energy that at certain peak times, electricity is actually fed back to the grid. This is the first solar tower here in the U.S., though many developing nations are also testing the technology for widespread developments of coverage where power is not accessible. A great, great way to do deployments here for areas that don't have power in them. 
Oh, it's amazing. And then also, as far as, uh, you know, saving money, saving the carriers money uh, from having to feed the, 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 the towers all day. Obviously, the solar cells are expensive and they do main, uh, need maintenance. But yes, think about a remote uh, tower up on a mountaintop or something, you know, something like that, where literally, you know, they can do microwave uh, repeaters to get, you know, actual cell service to the tower. Mm-hmm. So you don't need any hardwiring. Um, I, I would imagine we'll see these things a lot more in remote areas. You, you know, you won't see them in the city, obviously, because there's just no room for a big, a big panel, but uh, very fascinating. You know, and I, I look at this from the business perspective. I don't know what the life cycle or lifespan of solar panels is, but let's say it's 20 years, right? And let's say that the cost of it proves for a 10-year ROI, the carriers then have obviously 10 years of pure profit from not having to spend the money for the electrical costs for the tower. They push that over a number of different, uh, you know, all, all the thousands of sites that they have. And this can be a pretty lucrative thing for them. And shareholders are going to be very happy to hear this. So uh, good for T-Mobile on getting that out there. I love to hear stories that are positive for the environment. Metro PCS launching the first LTE network on Tuesday, initially providing service limited to Las Vegas, Nevada. The announcement also included the launch of the Samsung Craft announced by the company in late August. The phone is a dual mode CDMA and LTE device that's got Wi-Fi, GPS and Bluetooth with a 3.3 inch AMOLED screen and will cost $100 after rebate. Service plans will cost $55 to $60 and do not require a contract. Mentor PCS added that a list of cities that will have LTE coverage soon, though exact dates were not. They include Atlanta, Boston, Dallas, Detroit, uh, certain parts of Florida, Los Angeles, New York, Philadelphia, Sacramento, and San Francisco. The first LTE market uh, being Las Vegas, that is launched already, that launched on Tuesday. So if you're in the market and you want to go for LTE, you can now do so with the Samsung Craft. Well, thanks to our first sponsor, Netflix. Help support the cell phone junkie by signing up for a two-week free trial. Plans start at $4.99 per month. Over 100,000 titles to choose from. Keep each movie as long as you want. No late fees ever. Free shipping both ways. Free delivery in about one business day. Cancel any time. And as a bonus to your DVDs, watch some movies over the internet for no additional charge. Joey and I appreciate your support of the show by signing up for a free trial of Netflix. Well, I didn't have enough time to watch any movies this week, though I did receive the DVD Cocktail, which I'd never seen before. Tom Cruise at his finest, I guess. And uh, so we'll take a look at this one. I've never seen this. It's unbelievable, some of these movies that I've never seen. I'll be just sitting there talking to my wife, and she'll say, oh, you know, blah, 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 from, you know, Cocktail. I'll be like, I've never seen that before. I'm sorry. (laughs) And she'll just shake her head. She said, all right, add it to the queue. So we're going to be watching uh, Cocktail here hopefully sometime this week. And I ended up last night watching uh, an instant uh, Repo Man. I guess it's a cult classic from 1984 that I have never Hmm. seen. It has Emilio Estevez in it and a few others. And it's a a very interesting, uh, subtle movie where there's, you know, there's a lot of references. And it's, uh, it it was probably in its day, it was a very, very well done movie. And, um, you know, now it looks kind of dated and campy, Mm -hmm. but it uh, definitely was a neat, uh, kind of a neat movie. You know, a lot more gets added uh, each and every week to the Netflix instant streaming. Uh, You said Top Gear Season 9, I think, came out this week? Yep, it's not even available on DVD, so it's interesting <laughs> it's on streaming. However, they've really goofed up, they've really goofed it up. The episodes are all like repeated and so there's only like 3 episodes to watch or 2 episodes to watch because they've they've uh they've they didn't do it right. So, hopefully they get that fixed. And our neighbors to the north, Canada launched with Netflix this week. You can only do streaming at this point. They're going to get to the shipping of the DVDs, but if you want to get it, you can sign up 
It's uh, $8 Canadian per month, and uh, it's the first time Netflix will be available outside the U.S., so that's a pretty exciting thing. Yeah, that's a, a pretty amazing that they're not, but I suppose the the, the, the Postal Service, uh, you know, and of course the rights and the licensing, I mean, mm-hmm. that is a, a lot of, uh, you know, behind the scenes work to get that done. So it's not just as simple as just turn it on. So it's uh, pretty neat that they're going to have that capability. And I think, uh, you know, for how much they've expanded the instant streaming, uh, you, you barely need the DVDs. What do you think about this this instant streaming rumor that's going around that the U.S. may be getting this as well for like, you know, five bucks or six bucks a month? Would you save the money and just go instant only? Um, Boy, maybe. You know, right yeah. now I've got a three DVD plan, but uh, the, the usage of the DVDs has just plummeted in the past six months because they've, they have been expanding their, their instant streaming so much. So, um yeah, maybe. Uh, I, I don't know if the, I, I kind of doubt they're going to offer that here. I, I think they're they'll keep the they'll keep the the one DVD plan. I would imagine, but maybe they will. It's interesting you say that. My wife said the exact same thing. She's like, you know what? The model is right now that you can go out and you know you can get the the cheap plan, which is what is it six bucks a month? I think it's five four ninety nine per month, um, and, and that or five bucks. So yeah, so you can get what is it one at a time. Uh, up to two a month, plus then a certain number of hours of streaming or something like that, which is actually not all that bad. But, you know, I think I can see more people, uh, people wanting more than just that. And so they move it up a little bit. And so, of course, the revenue per user is then higher, you know, and, and so maybe you're right. Maybe they wouldn't do it. Yeah, I think they're were, they were, they were going to want to keep that up. And honestly, they have, uh, I mean, for me, the, the streaming is more valuable than the DVDs, even though the, the, the library is absolutely stunning. Um, I I like the instant on demand kind of thing where it's like oh I'm in the mood to watch uh this the comedy right now okay let's find a comedy here we go let's play it okay um you know a lot of people that's uh it's not that important and a lot of times it isn't for me as well but uh it's uh, it, it it's definitely a, a thing that's very nice about it and I you know I've thought about it too I mean I I, I sometimes there's you know, it kind of goes in waves doesn't it where you've got months where you watch just a ton and then the re- you know the next month it's not quite as much and I you know I, I every once in a while I think well maybe I should ratchet back back my subscription to something a little bit less but you know then the next month that I'm like oh I got to see all these movies and, and stuff so it's it's great to have the flexibility yeah absolutely and the limited plan Mickey it's DVD one at a time. Uh, with a limit of with a max of two per month mm-hmm. and you get two hours of streaming so that really isn't that much uh considering no. you can go up to 8.99 and get unlimited instant watching and get a dvd uh, you know one dvd at a time unlimited for the month so i mean to make that step up to considering how inexpensive uh it is it's a it's a great uh, great way to go and you know, I guess I didn't watch any of this week because I actually went to a movie, which I went and saw the movie because I re- recently watched something on Netflix, which was the movie Wall Street. And I talked about it a couple of weeks ago. And then, of course, the new version came out. Uh, Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps came out on Friday. So we went to the movie. Well, I pay, I'm not eight ninety nine plan like Joey mentioned. So with tax and stuff, it's it's under 10 bucks. So we'll just say 10 bucks a month, a month <laughs> to get unlimited DVDs shipped to my house plus unlimited streaming. 10 bucks. I paid... $11 per movie ticket on Friday, plus then another $10 for the, you know, what do we get? The Twizzlers and we get the, you know, the, I think it was just a bottle of water actually is all we got. So I, I ended up paying over $30. So over three times the amount that I pay just to go and see a movie where I could have stayed home and watched something on Netflix for essentially, you know, pennies on the dollar for what I spent to go out and see a movie. 
and even compared to uh, the likes of Blockbuster, where it was five dollars to rent a, mm-hmm. a new release, and of course, new releases uh, they were new for for three or four years, I think, before they <laughs> went to the cheaper the cheaper ones. And of course, if then if you forget it under the seat of your car, then you're going to pay you know uh, thirty, forty, fifty bucks uh, in no time at all. So it's uh, um, I, I, it's just an amazing difference here. It, it, of course, then of course the selection was is drastically different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean you've got you know. Literally opening, you know, opening up your horizon to over a hundred thousand titles that you can choose from, and that's constantly growing. I mean, they could be close to two hundred thousand now, but um, it's it's a great option. And if you look to do a lot of streaming, uh, Roku came out with a new streamer this week. Uh, this is the, or is this a new one here? This ten eighty p streamer, or is it just the prices that are new? Um, it is a new uh, box. They 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 released these, I think, a little bit ago, but I don't know if they were actually they announced them. But I don't know if they were available, but I think now they're available. Uh, the current Roku, like I have, is just the the 720p, not the 1080p streaming. They don't have that service available yet, uh, especially from Netflix. But there may be some up and coming services because Roku. It's not a Netflix device. It's actually by Roku, um, but they were kind of the first ones tied with Netflix. But now with the Roku, you can actually, there's different uh, quote-unquote channels you can go to, like Amazon. If you do want a brand new release to instant stream, you can pay the $5 and stream a brand, brand new movie with Amazon and watch TV shows that aired just yesterday or a couple days ago. You can watch them for 99 cents. Um, and then there's things like Pandora is available on there. There's uh, tons of other ones. I, I think there's Major League Baseball and a few mm-hmm. others. Um, so it's kind of a neat, uh, it's a neat device. And it, the nice thing about it for, for Netflix is it's just up. It's always on. You hit the button, the screensaver's on, you hit the button and it's just at your instant queue and you just hit play and literally your, your show is playing within, within seconds. So there's three offerings now. The HD device, which is, I believe, the one that you have, correct? Yes. So that's 60 bucks. So that you paid, I think, a nice. hundred. So yep, a hundred. That's a 40% discount of, of what this thing cost just a couple of, couple of weeks ago. The XD for $80 and then the XDS at a hundred dollars. Um, you know, that, that hundred dollar device, that'll get you 1080p streaming. Like you said, it's also 802.11n capable. So you can stream over the N network, which is something that I'm sure will be a nice addition if you're streaming the 1080p video once we get to that point. Uh, and, uh, you know, like you said, all these other great things. So check this one out. I mean, it's, um, if you're looking for a good streamer and, um, you know, you're not enticed by the Apple TV, you know, you say, well, I don't really need to, to do that. And you don't have a media center in your, in your living room, uh, which, you know, indeed is not nearly as convenient as something like this. Um, the Roku makes some great products. So check out one of these three products here. We'll put a link in the show notes as we do with every device. Speaking of devices, Apple announcing late Sunday that the iPhone 4 is arriving in China starting on uh, Saturday, September 25th, which was yesterday. The phone will be sold through Apple retail stores for 5,000 yen uh, or Chinese, I think it's yen, Chinese yen, and 16 uh, at 16 gigabyte models and uh, 6,000 Chinese yen for 32 gigabytes. Uh, The iPhone 4 sold through China Unicom stores with a two-year contract. Pricing can be found at 10100 Dot com. Speaking at an investor conference, Verizon CEO Evan Seidenberg said that he hopes Apple will offer an iPhone compatible with its LTE network. He further said, we don't feel like we have an iPhone uh, deficit. We would love to carry it, but we'll have to earn it. I can't speak for Apple. The 4G network hasn't yet opened for services, we, and we won't, compete, or, or we won't complete the network until next year. So anyway, what he's saying, though, is he's saying he hopes that Apple will come out with an LTE network 
uh, excuse me, an LTE iPhone that will be compatible with their network, and then they'll be able to use it and get it. So we'll see what happens with that. But at least he's saying, hey, we're looking forward to it. So there's been a lot of talk this week about this CDMA iPhone, as there is seemingly every week. But we've got some rumors here that we wanted to summarize into one roundup. So first off, citing a Digitimes report from June, Pegatron says that they received orders from Apple for CDMA iPhone 4s. Pegatron will also start shipping a CDMA version of the iPhone 4 to Apple in the fourth quarter, if the source is correct. They're currently using the plants in Shanghai, China to produce the products the source has noted, so we'll see what happens with that. Secondly, Bloomberg corroborated the Digitimes report later in the month that Verizon was expected to begin selling the iPhone in January of 2011. So if you look at a fourth quarter shipping from Pegatron, that would make sense. And then on Wednesday, Susquehanna Financial Group told investors that overseas suppliers were in the process of starting a 3 million unit CDMA iPhone build in December for an early 2011 launch. Then on Thursday, the Verizon CEO said that he would eventually like to sell the iPhone for the network, but of course didn't give any indication on what would be happening or if there had anything becoming you know, in play for a CDMA build-out, but we'll see about that. And finally on Friday, a new report from Digitimes says that sources have notified them that a production for the CDMA iPhone 4 will begin as early as November and that it will be done by Taiwanese hardware manufacturer Pegatron. Estimates say 3 to 4 million units, as we heard in the story before, and they will create those in the first three months with 10 million expected to sell by mid 2011. Yeah, and then, then there was there was a story about Qualcomm too. It was uh, there there was some uh, story about them getting an order for some huge number of something or another with Apple, and then uh, it uh, you know I think Mickey there may be a Verizon iPhone or at least a CDMA iPhone that's coming. You can't even guarantee it's Verizon, but uh, I, I, it kind of seems like one could happen here. Possibly. I mean, there, there's the chance. That <laughs> Twelve months later that we've been talking about this, every, this could be coming. It's just it's a possibility. Coming. It is coming. Uh, you know, yeah. with all of this, it, it's coming. It's just a matter of when. Yep. And I would say probably January looks like a good time frame. Macworld doesn't happen anymore for Apple. They don't go to that anymore. So who knows if maybe this year they'll say, hey, we're going to do CES. Because wouldn't that be great? They come out and they, they launch it right around the same time. I don't think they're going to be there. That's not Apple's style. But at the same time, would totally steal whatever thunder happens at that uh, conference. Anyway, Apple stock, the highest it's ever been, closing the week at nearly 290 points. That's just insane. Should have bought 50 points ago. That's for sure. That was like a week and a half ago, by the way. <laughs> They've just been going crazy as of late. Then uh, on the Sprint side, uh, bringing down prices to match AT&T and Verizon, Sprint announced on Tuesday that they dropped the Palm Pre and Pixie prices to 50 and $0, respectively, for qualifying two-year agreements. So check those out if you've been holding off on getting a WebOS device. And after nearly a year and a half since the announcement, the TerraStar Genus Hybrid Satellite and Cellular Phone is now finally available to AT&T customers. The phone runs Windows Mobile 6.5. It's going to provide cellular coverage uh, while in an AT&T area and will switch over to satellite for full coverage in the entire U.S., Puerto Rico, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. Further specs on the device include quad-band GSM and Edge, dual-band HSDPA 3G, a 2.6-inch screen, QWERTY keyboard, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and GPS. The handset will cost, are you ready for this, $800. It is a satellite phone, after all. Users will be required to subscribe to a a traditional AT&T plan to use the device. And when the phone is using the satellite network, costs will be charged for each minute message or megabyte used. 
The Genus will be available to government and business users first, users first, followed by consumers later. So there's a reoccurring monthly charge uh, for the use of this phone at $25, and that's, uh, the, I guess, the minimum amount that you can get on AT&T. Uh, then the satellite network pay-per-use charges are $0.65 cents a minute, $0.40 cents a message for SMS, so that's a little high, and $5 a meg for satellite data usage. Now, the $5, that's about what international roaming is, so that is not all that far off. So I guess it's kind of like you're paying just to be able to use this phone anywhere. And uh, $0.65 cents a minute isn't bad either. Uh, I mean, I, that's very low, like you said, for international roaming. That's not bad at all because usually it's in the couple dollar amount range. So honestly, uh, that's really fairly good. If you need the coverage, you can get it. That's, that's the point with this whole thing is that it's going to be there if you need to use it. Hardware is a little bit limited here. Joey and I saw this back at uh, CTIA in Vegas, but um, it was fine then. It's a little bit dated now, though. I would say, you know, compared to everything else that's out there, this is it's a little old. Little bit, yeah. But of course, if you know, you have to do, you do have to look at, you know, what you're doing, going mm-hmm. to a satellite, and you know, being able to pull your email, you know, get push email from a satellite. That's pretty neat. Yeah, on a device that's the size of a Motorola Q, essentially. So it's uh, it's pretty impressive for the size. I mean, think about satellite phones from you know what we've what we've known of satellite phones, and th- yeah, this is pretty small comparatively. So anyway, rumors have been flying this week about the HTC HD7, and WM Power user has some specs to back it up. The device is going to have a 4.3 inch WVGA TFT display, 480 by 800 resolution, one gigahertz Qualcomm processor, 576 megs of RAM, dual band HSPA and UMTS 7.2 megabit per second radio on the 900, 1700, and 2100 megahertz networks, quad band GSM, Wi-Fi, BGNN, Bluetooth 2.1, AGPS, digital compass, FM radio, 5 megapixel camera with autofocus, and a 1230 milliamp hour battery. Now, based on the radio band, it appears that the phone will be destined for the T-Mobile network here in the U.S., so we'll have to wait and see what happens with this one. We know that uh, the Windows phones are going to be coming out here, the Windows Phone 7s that are, for the GSM side first, so we're expecting AT&T and T-Mobile within the next month. We still don't have an official launch date, though the 21st of October has been rumored. We'll see what happens with this one, but this one looks definitely like it could be the launch partner, uh, the launch device for partner T-Mobile. Microsoft officially announced that all five major carriers in the UK will be offering Windows Phone 7 devices upon launch. Further, Carphone Warehouse will be stocking devices as well. Those could be coming here in just the next couple of weeks. And in an exclusive interview with Fierce Wireless, HTC CEO Peter Chow said that they would not offer the Sense UI on the first round of Windows Phone 7 devices. He says, initially, we don't uh, have time to bring things on top of the the existing Windows Phone 7 user interface. He said, but over time, we'll innovate and on top of that, provide some HTC experience. I don't think that we would do complete Sense UI on a Windows Phone 7, he said. However, I will say that we will innovate differently to improve the experience and to get some of the HTC unique and differentiated experiences on Windows Phone 7 operating system devices in the future. Further, Chow said that he'll be bringing an LTE smartphone to the market in 2011. HTC was the first with a 3G smartphone and a 4G smartphone, and will definitely be looking to future network technologies, though no future details were provided on what that device would be. The HTC Mondrian made an appearance on a couple of Windows Phone 7 ads posted by Engadget. The device appears to be the flagship AT&T device and goes with the less stop and stare, more glance and go tagline. Check it out in the new ad campaign. We're going to post some videos for you to check out. 
The BlackBerry Storm 2 may have a successful successor waiting in the wings, and it may not be the BlackBerry Storm 3. The refresh to the device could come as early as next month and is slated to be model number 50, excuse me, 9570. The device appears to run with 512 megs of RAM, which would likely be set as the necessary metric to get the Storm line running on BlackBerry OS 6. Yeah, and it seems like um, I, I heard some other rumors about this. So it's going to s- still have the exact same, uh, you know, sure press screen where you have to, you know, press the screen mm-hmm. down to get the the keyboard to activate. So it's not going to be like the torch, where it's the capacitive touchscreen that you're kind of used to on a lot of the newer style, um, you know, like iPhones. Yeah. So I, I don't know. You know, again, it's a, it's a rumor device, though. We're seeing you know hardware that's been leaked out. So I think it's coming. It's just a matter of uh, you know when and and what it's going to be called. Well, it's the yearly, you know, release cycle, Mickey. We saw the the first one come out in November of what oh eight, and then the Storm Two last year at oh nine. Uh, so, well, you know, another one in twenty ten. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose we could get them. Uh, we get them soon. I don't know. I just look at this and say, well, what are they going to call it? The the two point Storm two point five. You know, they're saying it's It'll not the Storm the- Three. It's going to be something. I mean, Storm 3, maybe not, but uh, I mean, it's going to be the same device. So, I mean, I don't know if Verizon will actually get it or not, but it, uh, it, it, it'll it be something like that. I mean, they may have a new name for it as well. I mean, and it's it's possible they could keep the Torch name too. I mean, I mean it is possible. BlackBerry Storm 2X <laughs> for Extreme. No, not buying maybe, it. Maybe, maybe. Okay. The FCC approved a device known as the BlackBerry 9760. It has a clamshell form factor, also known as the, Joey? BlackBerry Style. Style. We talked about it last week. It's going to be a CDMA device, 802.11BGN. RIM's BlackBerry Developer Conference kicks off this coming week, and it could be the venue for the official launch announcement. It's starting to look that way, Mickey. There was a... You had posted something on Twitter uh, about a CrackBerry story where they had a uh, sprint internal documentation showing that they're they're working on it and they've got uh, pictures of this device so it is it's really coming and they they targeted kind of a november time frame for that to actually be out so it uh, it's definitely coming and i'm stoked about it there's still no confirmation if it has evdo rev a or not that's one thing i would kind of like to have in there but uh, i'll deal with it if it doesn't so still still no word on that one does if you're looking for a 9650 Joey's maybe going on the market here very soon. <laughs> the Boy Genius Report got some hands-on time with the Bold 9780 this week, showing off upgraded specifications. Very, very similar to the 9700, with the exception of a black bezel surrounding the screen and keyboard that used to be Chrome. Uh, the phone has 512 megs of RAM, double that of the 9700, of course, getting it ready for the BlackBerry OS 6. Finally, on boot up, the phone shows that uh, the video showing it blowing away the speed on boot of the 9700. So again, uh, we got a video in the show notes here if you want to check that one out. Nokia announced on Monday it would be delaying the release of the N8 for a few weeks due to a number of pre-orders for the device. Some markets plan to have the N8 shipping by the end of September, which should now arrive sometime in October. And then on Tuesday, Nokia issued another statement saying that the device will be shipping in the next week, but depending on location, it may not arrive for a few weeks. So they're saying it will be out before the end of September. It just may be a couple of weeks before you get it in your hands. Samsung released a two-minute promo video on Monday showing off its new Galaxy Tab tablet. The spot shows the versatility of the device, including the speed, features, and size. All four US carriers announced that they would be carrying the tab last week. Pricing and availability are still awaiting announcement. 
Virgin Mobile announced the first Android or its first Android handset, the Samsung Intercept, via its Facebook page on Tuesday. Pricing and availability are still to be determined. T-Mobile started accepting pre-orders for the G2 Android device early Friday. The pre-order window goes until October 4th, and the device will go on sale Wednesday, October 6th. The phone will cost $250 with a $50 mail-in rebate. Head over to g2.tmobile.com to place your order. According to Bloomberg, the Facebook phone rumor we spoke about on the last week's podcast may have some merit. According to the source, Facebook is working with INQ Mobile on multiple devices. INQ made a Facebook device outside the U.S., which is set to become available in Europe early next year. Facebook acknowledges that work with INQ is going on, but describes the collaboration as customization rather than a phone of their own. Sanyo announced on Thursday the release of the Vero, a low-end flip device on Sprint. The phone will be available from Sprint Online and in stores starting on October 10th. Spread Spectrum, or excuse me, Spreadtrum is a semiconductor provider in China, and it's known for uh, not known for too many popular devices. However, if you're someone that is in need of a phone that uses multiple SIM cards on the go, the SC6600L7 will allow you to take three SIM cards in one device all over the globe. The phone allows for all three SIM cards to run simultaneously on the same baseband, antennas, and even frequencies. Spedtrum uh, is uh, the, one of the leading semiconductor companies in China, and uh, they've done work for both 2G and 3G wireless communications. So this one is, is just crazy to see that you can get a device now with three SIM cards built into it. I, I don't have three SIM cards, but I guess maybe uh, some people do, especially if you're traveling uh, among multiple co- uh, countries. This would be useful for you. Well, software news in a moment. First, another way you can support the Cell Phone Junkie. You enjoy this show. So help us out by subscribing to t- the, uh, the Cell Phone Junkie Unlocked, our bi-monthly premium podcast, only $5 a month or $45 a year. You can help us bring you this show each and every week. Sign up is easy. Visit thecellphonejunkie.com. Click the link on the right side for TCPJ Unlocked. Then click on subscribe to premium content and follow the instructions to get signed up. Thanks to everyone out there that's a TCPJ Unlocked subscriber. You know, we've got a great show coming up this week. It'll be released on Tuesday morning, as they always are. It's all about the world of LTE, and it's heating up, and we're going to dive into what you can expect from it over the next six months. Plus, we've got a segment on the new BlackBerry OS 6 and the Bold 9650. Both Joey and I have it, so if you want to hear more about it, you're going to have to subscribe to do so. Well, VoIP calling service Fring announced a new service set to compete with the low-cost calling rates of Skype. Fring Out allows users to make low-cost calls to landlines and mobile phones around the world for as low as one cent per minute. The calling feature joins the internet-based calling of the uh, on the application on Symbian devices first and will soon support Android and the iPhone. The application is a free download. Google announced new features on Monday targeted towards business users of its online services. Within the next few weeks, Google Docs will be able to edit Word, Excel, and PowerPoint documents stored in the cloud service directly from Android devices. Uh, This is the first operating system to offer the editing capabilities, and Google says that other platforms will be announced soon, including the iOS. And as I was reading this article, I actually found, too, that iPad users are going to be able to do the same thing. uh, There's apparently a difference in the way that the iPad versus 
uses the iPhone are reporting to Google, uh, and uh, so they're going to allow for iPad users to be able to edit uh, documents stored in the cloud as well. This is actually one of my big uh, barriers to going and, and using the iPad is being able to edit Google Documents. I'm every single day in Google Documents, and so I need a way to edit them, and I would really like to do so within the built-in Safari web browser. So this would be great to see if we can get that uh, coming soon here. Verizon announcing the addition of an application called Mobile Recovery to its total equipment coverage program. Mobile Recovery is a phone and web application that can find or secure a lost device. Customers can force their phone to sound an alarm, locate the phone using GPS, and remotely lock and wipe the device if stolen. Verizon will be offering next day delivery if a replacement device or other replacement device for users of the app on devices that cannot be found. Mobile recovery is now included in Verizon's total equipment coverage program at no additional cost to subscribers. So if you've got that, check that one out. It's a a great value add for you uh, to be able to uh, remotely find your phone if it's ever lost or stolen. Foursquare version 2.0 has been approved and available for a free download in the iTunes App Store. New features in the app include a to-do list, popular rankings for venues, and add to my Foursquare. With the latter, the user can find venues on the web and click a link that adds them to their to-do list. Foursquare said that the updated version would be coming soon to Android and BlackBerry. BlackBerry OS 6 officially available for the Torch right now, but BlackBerry Leaks has a version for the Bold 9650 that seems to be working very, very well. Like I said in the tease for the Unlock Show, Joey and I are running this version. Version 6.0.0.222 can be loaded on a Sprint, Verizon, or US Cellular 9650. It is functioning very well for most users. At this point, there are three issues that seem to be outstanding. Number one, the Pandora streaming radio service is not working properly, though Slacker working just fine, so that's kind of interesting. The LED light for video capture is not working, and the social feeds integration is causing some issues for some people, though not any for me, so I'm not sure uh, what's uh, what's going on there. Otherwise, though, everything seems to be working as promised, though keep in mind that this is an unofficial update, so proceed with caution if you decide to uh, install it. Droid Life received word on Tuesday that on Wednesday, the 22nd, would be the official date for the start of the rollout of Android 2.2 to the Motorola Droid X. You can manually start the download by choosing Settings, About Phone, and System Updates if you have not had the update pushed out to you yet. Google on Tuesday released a new version of Gmail for Android. The app now allows updates independently from the Android operating system and has several new features. First, the action bar will float on the screen to reply or forward messages without scrolling back to the top. Second, one-tap access to previous messages in email threads. And lastly, Gmail for Android now offers limited support for its uh, priority inbox feature. Google notes that in order to use the new version of Gmail for Android, users will need to have a device running Android 2.2. It is a free download from the Android market. You know, we're big fans of the iHound software here, and with our initial review in January and our overview of the geofencing geofencing functions that we added earlier this month, this week iHound introduced the official launch of its Android tracking system. Users of the service can find a lost or stolen Android device, plus, of course, take advantage of the geofencing functions recently introduced. The application is available for a free seven-day trial or at less than $1 per month going forward to protect your device thereafter. Android devices running OS 1.5 and higher on any U.S. network can use the software. 
Samsung and AT&T announced on Wednesday an over-the-air update addressing a GPS performance issue for the Samsung Captivate. The update for the Captivate will also improve additional device functions, such as media scanning time, and adding a full version of QuickOffice and addressing Microsoft Exchange 2003 policy support. The update will be pushed out to Captivate users over the air in the next few weeks. Navigon reached out to us this morning, uh, that was uh, this past Friday, with a special offer that are, they were running for the next six days. Through September 30th, a $10 price reduction has been made to all iOS versions of the mobile navigator. Starting on the 24th, you can now download the North American maps for $50, just the U.S. maps for $40, a, a section of the country known as My Region for $20, and Canada for $30. Visit the iOS App Store for additional details. The HTC Nexus One received a minor update this week to version 2.2.1. The release notes mention bug fixes, so don't look for much to change. However, if Android's ham sandwich, listen to Podcast 225 if you're confused, doesn't come soon enough for you, grab this one to tide you over. And finally, Timo News obtained some slides to show the T-Mobile may be launching Wi-Fi Calling over UMA fairly soon. Slides show that a new application called Wi-Fi Calling will be available for select Android devices. The app will let users make calls over Wi-Fi connections, though it will not hand off to the cellular network if the user leaves the hotspot area. Pricing, timing, and device availability have yet to be announced. All right, questions and comments this week. We've got a lot of them, so let's get rolling. First one, a comment from Dominic. He says, guys, this is Dominic. I have uh, I found an application that activated the FaceTime for my wife's iPhone. If you recall, Dominic last week called us and was talking to us about getting his wife's iPhone on T-Mobile. Uh, he also says this app is called MyTime. I'll warn people, though, that it's $8, so just do a Google search for MyTime, and uh, it will do a test to make sure that uh, your device is compatible before you actually buy it. But that's great to know that you can get the uh, FaceTime application working on devices that are not AT&T using. And Mickey, just a note that is uh, for uh, a jailbroken iPhone as well, you would, in order to install that app, that's something that you'd find with the, uh, the, uh, what is it, the Cydia. Cydia, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I guess, obviously, you you would have... uh, Obviously, have to have an unlocked uh, iPhone to be using it on T-Mobile, but yeah, jailbroken as well to get this thing working. So yeah, good point. Next is a question from John. He says, hey guys, this is John from Turlock, California. I love the show and I have a question about the Samsung Captivate for AT&T. I've been trying to get this phone connected to my Windows 7 Professional 64-bit edition, but regardless of the mode that I'm trying, uh, i.e. mass storage mode or whatever, I can't find a way to get it connected. My only option is I can find is turning my cell phone into an FTP server using Swift uh, FTP or SWI FTP and transferring the files over Wi-Fi or booting Ubuntu and then using the bootable live CD to do so. I was really looking for a simpler solution and hoping you or your listeners would have a better solution. FYI, there's an unofficial 64-bit driver floating around on the internet, but they don't really work. Well, my experience with the Android devices, the Nexus and the Evo, has really been fairly simple. You plug the phone in, choose to, you know mass storage mode, and and just works. Though I'm running Windows 7 32-bit, so it seems that the 64-bit version may be the uh, the culprit there. I found some instructions here about the issue uh, through a search, but I'm not sure that they're going to work for you. It seems like only some folks were able to make this work, and you know, it, it, truth be told, it could be something totally unrelated to the 64-bit. But what they're saying is, you go to settings applications, development, and then you enable USB debugging. Then go to settings, about phone, USB, 
and choose Ask on Connection. Then you plug in the phone, select Mass Memory when prompted, let the drivers install, and then pull down the notifications tray and uh, the notification for the USB connection. Press it, choose, and mount the drives, and should be fine after that. So I don't know, Joey, unless you have any ideas for him, I'm going to have to defer to the audience for any suggestions that they may have. Yeah, unfortunately, you're going to have to do some forum searching here. Yeah, I see a, a whole bunch of um, you know, drivers for Android for 64-bit, but it looks like it's uh, you have to kind of jump through some hoops. And yes, the, the in 32-bit versus 64-bit, drivers are completely different in uh, Windows. So it unfortunately, that's what you're stuck with. Uh, I've had no problem with uh, the BlackBerry with Windows uh, 7 64-bit, but um, I, I don't have an Android device to test it on. And again, I, I, you know, I'm using 32-bit here on my machine, so I, I can't tell you for sure. But uh, if someone does have 64-bit, which I'm guessing we're going to have a, a number of you that are out there that are using uh, that version, and you've got an Android device, if you've got some way to make this work, uh, let me know. Or even if you don't have an answer, let me know that as well, so that I know, um, you know, that I can pass on to John, and just, you know, hopefully we can figure out a way to get this going. Um, and I don't know if that that you know, method that I described is going to work, but that seems to have, have solved the issue for some people. Um, although I, I it, again, it didn't seem to work for everybody. So it typically that means it's not an answer. Uh, but anyway, check that one out, try it, see if that works. And any of you out there that are using this, let me know, uh, so that I, we can pass it on to John. Next is a question from Paul. He says, Hey there, came across your podcast via CNET's dialed in podcast. You have a very informative podcast and I have learned heaps. I bought about six months ago, the Samsung eternity, great messaging phone and real easy as to set up on multiple carriers. Two issues with it. If the phone is turned off and someone sends me an SMS message, it never gets delivered when the phone is turned back on. I'm not sure if there's a software bug or if or if the carrier keeps trying to pull the phone to see if it's alive to deliver. And if the phone pulls, the carrier says, send me your SMS data. I've tried this over three carriers and the SIM cards that I have for them. I bought last week an LG Insight as it works fine after being turned off, uh, though the carrier setup has put me off Windows Mobile forever. My next phone will be Android. My second question, the reason that I bought the Insight uh, was the ongoing speech uh, issue that I had with the Eternity. It's very bad. Caller said, it sounds like I'm talking in a paper bag on my head. Is this normal for these phones uh, as the Insight um, as the Insight has great speech both ways? Thanks in advance. Advance. Keep up the great podcast. P.S. If you ever wondered where AT&T's discontinued stock goes, it goes down here and is sold through Trademen. Apparently, this is a, a, a site down in New Zealand. They can uh, use the equivalent devices from AT&T on their networks. They use the same frequencies and everything like that. And I click through on the link that I'll put in the show notes here. Um, and it's really, really kind of cool. You see all these devices that they're selling in New Zealand that actually have AT&T branding on them. So you got all these people walking around in New Zealand with AT&T devices. Kind of funky. Anyway, two questions there. So the first one, um, the one thing I will say about having your SMSs delivered, carriers usually take a specified period of time. I think it's 72 hours, though that may vary depending on the carrier. Once an SMS is is sent to your account, if your phone is off, they'll continually try and deliver that message to you um, for 72 hours or whatever it is. And, uh, and, and if they cannot, then it just kind of vaporizes and goes into nowhere. Um, it sounds like, though, maybe you're trying um, to, to turn on your phone. It's not off for that period of time. Um, but if it is, if it's more than three days, I, that's that's the issue. Well, and it could be a matter of a whole bunch of different issues, Mickey. It could be, yeah, there's a carrier timeout, and maybe this carrier's timeout is much shorter. Maybe it's only a couple of hours. Um, maybe the phone is 
saying, okay, I'm ready for an SMS now when you kick it on. But in fact, it's just, you know, vaporizing the messages uh, once Mm. the carrier delivers it as the phone is powering on. That's very possible as well. So it could be it could be the phone or it could be the carrier. And there's really no good way to test it out unless you try yeah, a different phone. See if the SMSs get delivered when you power the phone on. And if that is the case, then it's a bug in the phone, the, the phone itself. And, and I'm not exactly clear, uh, Paul, on what you're saying. You said you bought last week an LG Insight, and, and that works fine. I'm not sure if what you're saying works fine is the sound quality or the actual delivery of SMS messages. Yeah, and if it is the, the, the SMS is being delivered after the phone is off, then there's definitely an issue with the, the, the phone uh, throwing them away when you power it up. Yeah. Now, as far as the sound quality of the Eternity, um, you know what, for this, I, I don't know what to say other than, no, it's not normal for a sound to sound, you know, phone to sound like you're talking in a paper bag, but uh, it certainly could, you know, it could occur uh, if you're, you know, if the phone itself is is being, uh, you know, if you're in a loud environment, for example, like a car or something like that, certain phones work better than others. Or I mean, there's a hundred reasons why the sound quality could be bad. Exactly. And uh, one of the things to actually check is a physical block for your little microphone hole to make mm. sure that there's not uh, lint or something jammed in there that's actually blocking the thing. Uh, take a maybe e- even possibly very carefully uh, look at it and see if there's something that can be dug out with either needle or um, uh, maybe even some air blown on it uh, to blow it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that is a possible uh, reason too. There's, for the most part though, phones should not sound like you're talking in a paper bag. Um, keep in mind too, if you're holding the phone, if your palm is on the bottom of the phone and that's where the microphone port is, if you're blocking that, it's going to sound, it's going to sound bad as well. I mean, there, there's a whole bunch of reasons why it could be, um, but no, it's not normal for a phone to sound, sound bad. So anyway, but thank you uh, very much though for your, uh, your insight there, um, on, on the trade me site that's or trade men, excuse me. That's kind of a neat thing too. Next is a question from Jeff. He says, hello all. I'm wondering if I could seek some clarification between T-Mobile and AT&T. A number of podcasts ago, you went through the entire frequency spectrum used by each network. Could you please provide that podcast number again? Well, unfortunately, I don't remember which one it was. So we're going to talk about that in just a second. But anyway, he goes on to say one of the topics was that T-Mobile was using the 1700 megahertz side for HSPA or 3G network. Is that correct? If not, can I ask what the frequencies are that they use for HSPA? Is it just one or is it two or maybe three? Logically, it would explain why T-Mobile does not always work with AT&T and vice versa beyond Edge. There are more uh, then on a more recent podcast, it was mentioned that the new T-Mobile Galaxy S could be used on AT&T. Following that possibility and hearing uh, about the new Walmart family phones, I surfed over to Walmart to check it out. Became sidetracked when looking at T-Mobile phones and the plans on the Walmart site. I looked at the Galaxy S, and under the specs, it said that T-Mobile was using the 850 and 1900 megahertz bands. Is this factual, or is it a misprint? If it's true, then it would work on AT&T, correct? Seeking clarification on that. Or are there many different segments of frequencies within these narrow bands that would allow two operators to operate on the same tower, structure, hardware, infrastructure, whatever? Is there a 1900 megahertz codec for PCM and the AWS signal processing, thus keeping them separate? And then secondly, I now see a number of T-Mobile users posting online that they can no longer roam on an AT&T network. I'm wondering if this is accurate, if it's happening for just calls or it's happening for data as well. It seems that many people compare T-Mobile to AT&T, most likely because of GSM. What appears to uh, many postings are compatibilities, different phone frequencies, or the same, and roaming agreements. Keep up the best podcast on the net. Cheers, Jeff. Well, thanks, Jeff, uh, for the question. It's actually, this is a really good one. So let me, let's break it down here again. Again, no idea what podcast we talked about this on. Um, 
But on the AT&T side, um, for GSM and 3G, so for both networks, they're running those on the 800 megahertz network and the 1900 megahertz network. Both networks are operating on both frequencies. It just depends on where you are in the country. Uh, there were certain areas, you know, this goes back to, you know, the time where when they originally set up all of the uh, the markets in the country for two carriers to operate cellular frequencies. And that was in the 800 megahertz spectrum. When that happened, they selected two carriers. And uh, in certain markets, AT&T happens to be one of those. In the markets that they are not, they run the 1900 megahertz band. So my example, or in my town here, Phoenix, I'm on 1900. Um, you know, in certain other markets like... Um, uh, it, I don't even know, like certain parts that used to be singular down in the South. Uh, uh, there's, there's a lot of them that have 850. Uh, anyways, but they, they run both on, on both networks. Verizon runs their CDMA and EVDO networks on 850 and 1900 megahertz as well. So they are one of the other carriers that has some of the markets too that they were operating on the 800 megahertz network back in the analog days. So they still have some 800 and then they also do 1900 megahertz to supplement where they need it. T-Mobile uh, runs GSM on 1900 megahertz only. Their network is 100% uh, what they call the PCS spectrum, uh, which is the 1900 megahertz band. The devices that they sell now, some of them have these quad band radios in them, which would include an 800 megahertz band, which would be able to allow them to take advantage of 800 megahertz roaming uh, where needed. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Though for their 3G services, whether it's UMTS, HSDPA, HSPA, HSPA+, all of their 3G services are on 1700 megahertz. So keep that in mind as, as we continue along here. Finally, Sprint, both CDMA and EVDO are running on the uh, 1900 megahertz network. They're similar to T-Mobile. They're PCS only. They have 850 in them. That's for roaming for the Altel and Verizon sides. Now Sprint, though, has this new WiMAX uh, you know, side in their devices, which is actually in the 2.5 to 2.7 gigahertz range. So if you're using WiMAX, you're, you're operating higher than these, these, these frequencies here. Your next question is about the Galaxy S on T-Mobile. That device has actually uh, a lot of different pans in it. It's for the, the GSM and Edge side, it's 850, 900, 1800, and 1900. So it's quad band edge. Then for 3G, it's tri band. It's 1700, 1900, and 2100. The 1700 for uh, 3G here in the US on T Mobile, the 2100 for uh, international uh, outside of North America, that's what 2100 is for. And the inclusion of 3G on 1900 is for the international roaming here in North America, so specifically Canada and Mexico. If it wasn't included, there'd be no way for you to get 3G while you're up in Canada or down in Mexico uh, outside of the US. Um, so that's why they do that. It's, it's actually kind of interesting though, because yes, if you unlock this device, and we talked about it a few shows ago, you can actually unlock the Galaxy S devices. They, the information on how to do it, the code is actually in it. And so it's it's pretty interesting that, that you can do that. And you could use this device uh, in areas that have 1900 megahertz. Keep in mind, though, you can't use it, I don't think, um, almost positive, it does not have that 850 band in it. So you could not use it for 850 roaming here on AT&T. It's only 1900 megahertz, which is kind of the reason why some people are like, hey, it's not seeing 3G for me on AT&T. Well, yeah, because in that area, 3G is on 850. Yeah, so basically it's uh, a mess is uh, really the summary of the uh, the GSM. It used to be where, you know, GSM, AT&T, and T-Mobile was great because you could just swap your SIM card. It wouldn't matter if you had an unlocked phone. 
Uh, but now with the the 3G data aspects of it, it it's uh, it, it basically makes a you know an, an unlocked uh, GSM device basically kind of useless, especially if you're looking for data. And of course, that is the reason why you were only seeing edge on the device when you're because it's the wrong frequency band. So it is um, it, it's not like it used to be. A great story here. I mean, this goes back five years ago, but it's a similar issue. Uh, I had a when I switched over from T-Mobile to AT and T. My wife and I were on separate T-Mobile plans, and we moved ourselves over to AT&T, and we were on a joint plan. When we did so, um, we, we got... She had a great... My wife did had a great uh, little flip phone, Samsung, that she really liked and wanted to con- continue to use it on AT&T. And, uh, be, you know, taking taking it, unlocking it was no big deal uh, because we were... You know, our, our contracts were up, and so T-Mobile unlocked it, you know, uh, just fine. We took the AT&T SIM card, popped it in the device, and here in Phoenix, it worked just fine. And we thought, oh, great. You know, no problems here. And then we went uh, We went on a trip. We went up to Denver. Now, Denver and, and Colorado in general has got both the 1900 megahertz and the 800 megahertz networks for AT&T. And they have primarily 800 megahertz supplemented by 1900. So if you see where I'm going with this one, the, the device that you had came from T-Mobile, and that was five years ago. That didn't have the 800 megahertz in it. So the device sort of worked. But not really. I mean, it, it could get service, but it was poor. It was like finding, you know, towers that were just filling in areas, and, and it was just awful. Fortunately, I, I she was there alone, and I came up a couple of days later and brought an AT&T phone so that she could get the 850 service. So, um, But anyway, that's kind of what's happening here is that, you know, you're, you're seeing uh, devices that sort of work because there's some of the bands, but not all the bands. And so it's not recommended you go and buy the Galaxy S on T-Mobile and bring it over to AT&T because it's not necessarily going to work for you everywhere. Now, regarding your final question here on roaming, I've seen it too, where the GSM carriers are clamping down on roaming on other carriers' networks in markets that they already have service. So if you're on T-Mobile and uh, you're in an area where AT&T signal is better, they don't want you roaming on that. They want you on their network because they don't have to pay then for you to use the AT&T network. Now, if you're in an area where T-Mobile doesn't provide service, say rural parts of, of the country, you're going to easily be able to uh, roam on AT&T because they're going to set it. That, that's how these roaming agreements work. They want you to be able to use your phone, but not in areas where they have coverage provided. So there's, there, there's you know, kind of, there are places that you're going to be able to use it and there's places that you aren't. So I can't force, you know, uh, an AT&T device to roam onto T-Mobile um, you know, when I've got an AT&T SIM card in it, uh, you know, it's, it, they clamp down on that. They don't let it, uh, don't let it happen. So anyway, that's uh, hopefully answers those questions for you. But yeah, those are great ones, Jeff. Thank you very much. Next is a question from Greg. He says, guys, has it been confirmed that the BlackBerry 9700 will be able to run OS 6? Or is this just a rumor? If so, when? Yes. Okay, next question. Just kidding. <laughs> anyway, it is coming. Uh, we heard about it when they announced BlackBerry OS 6 um, with the Torch. It is coming. It's, it may be a few months here. Um, if you've got the 9650, again, we talked about it. The leaked ROM has come out. It is running on the devices. Um, you know, I know, Greg, you played with the Torch, um, and you liked OS 6, so you're going to like it. Um, the 9700 will eventually get, uh, you know, get that upgrade. I don't know when, though. We, we really, uh, we're just kind of waiting to see what happens here. So, uh, but it will be coming sometime. Uh, next is a question from Francie. Uh, says, I am trying to subscribe to your podcast via Beyond Pod on Android. However, I can't seem to figure out how to only subscribe to the podcast. Beyond Pod is downloading the entire feed, which includes reader content. I don't want the reader content intermingled with my podcast content. Is there a direct podcast only feed that I should be using? 
Thank you. Um, so yeah, this, this question gets asked every once in a while, and I, I like it when it does because I can throw out this link, and for those of you that have not heard this before, you hear it now. There's a special feed for podcasts only, it's, and it's only going to pull in the last 50 shows. You know, We do uh, the show every week, and we're up to 225 here, and some of these podcatchers really have a problem with so many shows. So we've got this feed that just pulls essentially the last year, and uh, the feed is thecellphonejunkie.libsyn.com slash rss slash podcasts slash last 50 i'm going to include that in the show notes if you go and right click on question from francie you'll be copying that url over and you'll be able to paste it into whatever podcatcher you want and that's going to help you just get the podcasts and it's only going to be for the last year so if you want to hear stuff from 2009 or earlier you're going to have to go in and, and manually figure that out but this is a good way to do it and it's going to get all that other content out of the feed Question from Teresa. She says, is there any site or info that can give a good cell phone comparison? I've been looking at the iPhone 4, BlackBerry Torch, and Samsung Captivate. It can it can all be so confusing. I use my phone for texting and pictures and sending pictures and listening to music. I uh, also use quite a few applications and search the web. I currently have a BlackBerry Bold, and I love it, but it's time for an upgrade. Any advice? Well, my advice is uh, there's, there's a great comparison tool that's found over at PhoneScoop. So head over to phonescoop.com slash phones slash compare, and you're going to be able to pull up all the, uh, the phones uh, that are out there, and you're going to be able to search for and compare side-by-side the phones and hopefully be able to make an informed decision. Now, the three devices that you're talking about are, are, are really all very different. They're all high-end smartphones. Um, you know, and in fact, I've got an iPhone, a BlackBerry, and currently testing out the Evo, and each one of them does certain things better than the others. Um, but, you know, BlackBerry and iPhone specifically, I, I carry all the time because there's so much out there, um, you know, that, that's constantly upgrading and whatnot. But if you currently have a BlackBerry, my recommendation is I would stick with it. The Torch is probably the best BlackBerry option at AT&T. Most people are really enjoying it. Yeah, or just go back to the Cell Phone Junkie website and uh, look through some of the reviews that uh, Mickey has done on some of the phones and try to compare them that way as well, If as long as uh, you've done reviews on them. Well, the, the iPhone 4, uh, you know, I'm, I haven't done a review because I felt like there were so many out there, and, and I probably should at some point. I've got a BlackBerry Torch on the way. I should have that here in the next couple of weeks, and so that'll be able to take a look at. And the Galaxy S, I, I got to get one of these 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 devices in to check out. I, I, I've played with the Captivate in the, the AT&T store. I haven't really taken that much time with it, though. But, um, you know, compared to the Evo, it's relatively similar. It's a little bit smaller of a screen, but, um, you know, they've got the uh, the TouchWiz UI on top of it versus the Sense UI that the uh, the HTC devices go on. You really need to figure out what OS you want to do first and, and, and then kind of go from there because... If you want an Android device, you know you can you can make the decision and, and go with the Captivate, or you can you know even go with you know something like the Nexus if you want something that's not as tied down. Though I'm guessing you're probably looking for uh, the subsidy in there to get it for cheaper. Um, but again, if you're looking at a BlackBerry uh, or if you've got a BlackBerry and you like it, why, why not stick with it? You know, it's something that you know you like. Um, you, you know, you can try and use other devices, uh, and and if and if the BlackBerry that the the strengths of what it is don't uh, don't keep you with it then that's just fine too but uh for me it, it definitely does and so that's that's why i choose to keep you know keep going back to the blackberry because it works really well for me so anyway but thanks for the question Teresa. question from kettle he says hi i've just got the htc touch pro 2 and i'm not able to find out where the left and right soft keys are i've tried everything from tapping everywhere on the screen to pressing every key on the keyboard can you tell me where they are 
Well, they aren't on the actual physical keyboard, but they are on the bottom of the screen, depending on what screen that you're on. So if you've got the keyboard closed, they're going to be directly on the bottom of the screen. Um, If you've got the keyboard slid open, they're going to be, I guess we'll say, on the left side of the screen or on the side of the screen just above where the... um, uh, where the keyboard is, where the where the hinge there is. So, I'm not sure. I know I know Kettle uh, is is one of our our blind listeners, and so maybe something is not functioning right uh, for you. But I, I'm not really sure um, where your question is going because th- there are soft keys there. Um, I, I'm I've not had a problem with them. I had a Touch Pro two last year, and and yeah, they're there. So anyway, um, I don't know. I don't really know how else to answer that one, but. I just say at the very bottom of the screen, that's that's where they are, just typically uh, where you'd have them on all the other windows, mobile phones. Next is a question from Greg. He says, guys, um, along the way in my BlackBerry device antics, I've somewhere lost the ability to read PDF files. I'm certain it was a standard application in the past, but I can't open them anymore. I checked the forums, and it seems like I'm not the only one. I'm running the bold 9000 with version 4.0.6.304. Thanks. Well, Greg, yes, the ability to view PDFs um, that are emailed to you does come standard uh, when you get the BlackBerry. So something with the new software version that you installed may have removed it. Um, the one that I would say to check out that's a free one is Moby Pocket's ebook reader. The version uh, is in beta currently for the Bold and the Storm, but this is going to allow you to, to view the PDFs that you're looking for without a problem. MobyPocket.com slash mobile slash download soft slash default is where you can find that. I'll put a link in the notes uh, by your name so that you can grab it. And finally, a question from Ruben. He says, guys, great show. My wife and I have an iPhone 3G, and she wants the the 4 the iPhone 4, and I would like to get an Android phone, but only if I can get one with a front-facing camera. Does AT&T have any plans to release any other phones with front-facing cameras anytime soon? Well, the Galaxy S, i.e. the Captivate, had a front-facing camera in the manufacturer's model, but it was removed by AT&T when they released the Captivate. Um, I know of none right now that are on the horizon uh, with that front camera, uh, You know, not to mention who knows when AT&T is going to open up FaceTime to function over 3G. And so I don't know that they're going to come out with any other ones, um, you know, anytime soon. You know, you can use a device like the Evo on Sprint uh, to do your your quick, you know, video, but it really doesn't work well unless you're on a 4G or Wi-Fi connection. And it's just going to, it's going to take a little bit more time for this, but nothing, nothing right now that I know of. Well, and of course, you know, that's an Apple proprietary one. So them actually opening up to other handset manufacturers is that it's just not going to happen. But see, they said they were they said they were going to try and open it for for the the people who wanted to do it. But not. Yeah, you're right. I I wonder if the manufacturers are going to be interested in it. It, The the spec itself, though, I mean, you would think that they would come out with a way to, you know, bring it in so you could use it with like Skype. I mean, that would be fantastic. Yeah, maybe they'll do that. Yeah, they, they could. I mean, if they said they were going to, maybe they'll do that because it, it would make sense to to have that functionality go across other cell phone users. The one thing that I'm, I can't believe they don't do is iChat. I mean, the iChat app that's built into every Mac that comes out there now, they don't allow integration with that. And that, that just boggles, boggles my mind right now. Not to mention I think I've used I haven't used FaceTime in probably four months now, <laughs> so it's not like it's something that I'm using all that much. But it certainly is is a neat um, novelty application, and maybe people are using it. But it's it's just not a thing that I ever got really into. But anyway, ten questions. Thanks everybody for them. And uh, if you have one, you can get in touch with us. Send us an email questions at thecellphonejunkie.com or text us at seven seven five seven seven three. TCPJ 
today. That's 8275. Or you can give us a call, 206-203-3734, and uh, leave a voicemail message there. If you want to follow us, you can head over to Twitter, twitter.com slash junkie. That's how to follow the site and every news story that we post. Joey is at TCPJ underscore Joey. I am at TCPJ underscore Mickey. If you're a Facebook user and you want to follow us over there, we're facebook.com slash the cell phone junkie. So Joey, thank you very much as always for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at the cell phone junkie.com. <laughs>